Well, good morning. Uh, so glad you guys are here this morning. And uh, man, I, I just constantly have been reminded over the last few months what a special um, part of the kingdom we are here at Bethany. And uh, just so thankful for the many of you. Um, look, this is uh, not the church. You are the church. And we get to be a part of a, a special church together. And man, there's some awesome ministry going on across both of our campuses. It was so cool to see all those baptisms, right, right before our offering time. And just so many people's lives being changed by the gospel of Jesus, and we get to be a part of that. So that's, that's an exciting thing. You know, today we're going to kick off this new series called Asking for a Friend. Um, and here, here, I've got one for you. I've got, I got a question I've always wanted to be answered. When is it appropriate to bust out pumpkin spice flavoring? All right? And like, what is appropriate to be pumpkin spice? All right? Like, I know some of these people are like, it's August, all right? And, and the first brown leaf's on the tree, and they're like, I'm going to get my pumpkin spice out, right? Or they're like, I've got to have everything pumpkin spice. Twinkies, you can get Twinkies and pumpkin spice flavor. You can get Oreos, and this is like the sickest thing I've ever seen. This is legit. Pumpkin spice spam, all right? Go down to the local store, get you some pumpkin spice spam. Um, that's hard to say, actually, right there. Uh, man, you know, I, I've just found that, like, let's just wait till October. So it is October. It's free time. You can go get your pumpkin spice. Let's just keep it to coffee, okay? All right, we don't need everything else out there, right? Uh, you know, I, I hope we answer bigger questions than this through this series. And we've, we've compiled a list of questions over the last month or so. It's been in our connection card. We've been encouraging you to connect with a QR code. We've also hit it on Facebook as well. And uh, you guys have responded well with lots of questions. Um, and so we've done our best to compile those questions. And we're going to do our best over the next month to answer those questions right here from the platform on Sunday, Sunday mornings. Now, I, I, want to, uh, I want to introduce to you uh, my little buddy. Uh, this, is, uh, this is my, uh, my two-year-old, uh, Ezekiel, right here. And uh, man, I tell you, he, he really is my little buddy. Uh, he's our second born, um, our only boy right now. And uh, man, you ever, you guys, many of you in this room are parents, all right? So you can kind of relate here. Like, you, you go in, right? You go to the hospital and Women are in labor, thank goodness. Women do the laboring, uh, right? And uh, you have a baby, and then uh, they usually keep you for 24, 48 hours after baby is born. And uh, then the nurse comes in, looks you in the eye, and says something like to the extent of, hey, I'm going to have you fill out your paperwork, and then we're going to discharge you. And then they do that, and they're like, you're free to leave. And you're like, whoa, what time out? Like, where's the owner's manual to this thing, right? That's, that's what I was thinking that when I had my, our first, and I, I felt the same way with the, having a second who was a boy at the time. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, the diaper goes on this end, all right? right? Like, do you, all these questions get raised when you become a parent, don't you, right? Like, you're like, why don't I sleep anymore, right? You ever been there, right? right on sleep. They sleep all the time, but you can't seem to find a wink of sleep, right? Or, or you know, I bought diapers yesterday. How have we gone through nine? Five diapers in a day, right? You know, that's a, those are type of questions that arise, and the questions change as the kids get older, right? Now he's two and a half now, and uh, so so just lately he's been discovering his throwing arm. All right, so I'm like I'm like a total dad. I'm like, dude, he's got a good arm. He's going to play some baseball, I'm sure, in the future. You know, I, I can only imagine he's going to be a pitcher for the Cardinals when they win the championship 20 years from now. Right? Good Cardinals fans out there, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Cubs. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I'm stoked, but my wife didn't think it was very funny when he tested his throwing arm, throwing a toy out the car at 60 miles per hour on the highway the other day, all right? 
Um, you know, and, and this is just a funny thing. Like, he's discovering his lungs right now, right? So he likes to yell sometimes and scream, and that can lead to some embarrassing moments in the grocery store. Um, and right, right now, if you ask him why he did something, he'll get this real serious face, and he'll look you back in the eye, and he'll go, Why? right? Like, he's asking you why. I'm like, I'm asking you why. You tell me why you did that, right? He's changed our life. He's totally changed our life, and he's raised a lot of questions. That's what, that's what kids do. They're a blessing, but they raise a lot of questions. You know, I found that, that life is a lot like having children, right? Life is truly a, a blessing. So here, just, just for a moment, everybody take a deep breath with me, all right? Right? See that breath? That breath is a gift from God. It actually says it like this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. You know, that term for breath in the Old Testament, New Testament, both in the Greek and Hebrew, is a term that has threefold meaning. Spirit, wind, and breath. That God breathed our spirit into us. God, Jehovah, Yahweh right? That God gave us life and life, right? Life is a gift. But just like my, my two-year-old son has raised a lot of questions, doesn't this life raise a lot of questions, right? I mean, don't we all have a lot of questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or where is God amongst the mess? Or what's my next move? What am I supposed to do, God, with a certain thing or certain situation? How do I deal with the chronic pain or the hurt in my life? Or if God is so loving, then why doesn't blank? So as we begin our, our series, Asking for a Friend, we're going to do our very best to answer as many of these questions about life and faith that we possibly can. But before we do that, let me just tell you this. Around here, it is all right to ask your questions. We want you to ask your questions. You, you've probably heard us say at a time or two that in this place, we welcome both the believer and doubter. And guess what? Both of you have questions. And so we want to answer those, those questions. And so there were a lot of questions. All these came in anonymously, so we can't contact who wrote the questions and get back to them on them. So let me just say this. If your question is not answered over the next month, or, or let's say you, you, another question arises and you want to ask that question, would you come talk to us? We want to be good pastors to you, and we want to help answer those questions. So if we're not able to handle it in this series, would you just come, come touch base with us? We'd love, to, we'd love to talk more about it. We want to help to bring answers to those questions. And the second thing is this. You know, unlike, uh, unlike having our, our, our son and wanting that owner's manual at birth um, and not getting it, in life we do have a, a manual. It's this. And God's Word is the greatest place where we can find find answers to our questions. And here at Bethany, it's our hope. It's our hope that we present this book. Look, I don't want to give you my opinions on these topics. I want to give you God's truth on these topics. Just like God breathed life into us, God's word will breathe life into our questions. Actually says it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out, right? There it is. Breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Look, here, here's what I want to say. We want to answer your questions. I mean, I mean your friends' questions, right? And, and we want those questions to be answered not with, truth, or not with opinion but with truth, right? We don't want to give you a, a, a shade of gray. We want to give you black and white answers. So today, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the topic of mental health issues. 
All right, so we had quite a few questions that came in on mental health, and uh, we want to do our best to to cover this. Now, look, you're not going to cover the whole gamut of mental health in one sermon. I'm not going to be able to accomplish that in 30 minutes, but I'm going to do my very best to help bring about some truths from God's Word for those that may struggle with depression or anxiety or PTSD or suicide. You know, those all carry quite a bit of weight, don't they? I mean, these are, these are deep-rooted issues, and sometimes they carry a stigma in the church that's like, this is untalked about, or, or like, you aren't a faithful person if you struggle with that. Can we just like squash that for a moment? All right, I, I, I want you guys to, to recognize this, that, that mental health is a massive issue in our world. Actually, one out of five Americans has a diagnosed mental health issue. One out of five, all right? This, this, this just like floored me this week. That mental health has almost doubled in the last five years in youth and teens. We have an epidemic and an issue. In church, we need to be on the forefront of leading the way and pointing people to hope amidst these issues. It's even more so needed because about 60% of those that have been diagnosed or have a mental health condition will tell you that they don't feel like they're receiving the proper care. They don't know where to turn to. It's like this. Somebody that struggles with depression isn't just really, really sad and needs to get over it. It doesn't work like that. Like somebody that is anxious and stressed out and worried all the time, like they don't need to just chill out, man. Like you've you've probably said that to somebody before. Just chill out. Come on. Stop getting all worked up. Can't you just stop worrying about this? It's a a little bit more than that. Those that that have had thoughts about harming themselves or hurting themselves, they aren't insane. They don't have something messed up in the brain, right? These are real issues, and they have real solutions as well. So before we, before we start this morning, I just want to read to you from Psalm 88. It's a longer passage of Scripture, but I believe it's so important for us to take a look at this this morning because I believe it tells us a lot uh, about what God's Word says on the mental health issue. It's on page 478 in the Bible's in front of you. It's not going to be on the screen, so I encourage you to turn over to it. Yeah, maybe put a, put a bookmark in your Bible towards that so you can look back at it because it, it's, it's pretty hefty. Let me read it to you. It says this, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like a slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more. You are cut off. I, you who are cut off from your care. He's depressed, right? You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depth. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your ways, hints of anxiety coming out. You have taken from me my closest friends. You have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is, is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or the righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you eject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered. I have been close to death. I have bore your terrors, and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. And then listen to this. Darkness is my closest friend. 
Now, for those of you who don't believe that a Christ follower, somebody that's, that's searching after God, can struggle with depression and anxiety, then why in the world would that be recorded for us? Why would God make sure that the Psalms are laced with it, that character after character in Scripture dealt with issues like these? Because it's a part of the world that we live in. It's a part of the curse of sin. And Scripture clearly hits it. You look at David as he did write most of these Psalms, and he's just full of ups and downs and emotions and highs and lows. You, you look at the, the life of the Apostle Paul who, who wrote 13 of those 27 books of the New Testament. And, and Paul is a guy that talks about this thorn in the flesh. We're not sure what the thorn in the flesh was, but he's a guy that walked through these, these seasons of, of great despair and, and hurt, but somehow clung to God amidst it. And today I want to look at two, two, two specific people in Scripture. One is Judas and the other is Peter. We're going to look at their unique situation at the end of Jesus' life. It's in Matthew chapter 26. Um, so if you want to mark your Bible, we're going to flip back and forth to that scripture today. It's on page 808. Judas, right? Judas is known for betraying Jesus, handing him over, right? And Peter is known for being there in the moment of anguish and denying Christ three times. Now, both of these men had some tremendous experiences with Jesus, didn't they? They walked with God in the flesh. They, they saw him heal the sick, make the blind see. They, they, saw, God, they saw Jesus feed thousands. They, they sat with him. They personally learned from him. But then they floundered, right? And they found themselves anxious and distraught, depressed and overwhelmed. So as we look at those situations, I just want to point out a few truths. The first truth is this. Disconnect has caused the divide. Disconnect has caused the divide. You see, God designed us to be in an intimate relationship with him. God has designed us to be close with him. He breathed that life into mankind, and he wanted mankind, his prized creation, to be connected to him. But guess what, right? Mankind messed that up, right? And, and Adam and Eve made a decision to sin, and then this disconnect happened, and there was this divide in the, the right and connected relationship God went, had for us, and so so mankind began spinning out of control from that moment. And Judas had his moment of disconnect, right? It's found in, in uh, verse 14 of chapter 26. It says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, and he asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver, and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Was it Judas's greed that got the best of him? Well, was it Judas's pride? Was it his control? Uh, maybe it was some sort of combination of all of those things. Whatever it is, this is the moment of disconnect. Peter disconnected, right? Three times he denies him. Verse 74 of chapter 26 says, Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man, right? Was Peter lying? Was Peter's fear that got the best of him? Was it his desire for control? I mean, these men had been in relationship with Jesus, God in the flesh. They had been close, connected, had, had a personal friendship with him, and then they're just going to turn like that? Now, if you skip back over to Genesis 3, that's the moment where Adam and Eve found their disconnect and when the start, really, of mental health entered into our world. Verse 8 of chapter 3. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and here it is. And I was afraid. I was afraid. 
because I was naked, so I hid. That's the moment that mental health was recognized in Scripture. Sin has wrecked us spiritually. It just wrecked us. This was not what God intended for us when he wanted to be in relationship with us. And it's, it's wrecked us mentally as well. God wanted for us this perfect peace that was in the garden, this calm and this understanding of who was in control, not I saw you and I was af- afraid. But when man tried to take control, guess what? We lost all control. And now Satan plays havoc on the mind. He doesn't want us to feel the peace. He doesn't want us to have the calm. He doesn't want us to, 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 to know that God is there and God is desiresome to connect with us. He wants us to be anxious and overwhelmed and afraid. See, the disconnect caused the divide. So am I telling you that sin is the cause of your mental health issues? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I, I think sometimes we want to like skirt around this issue. And we would say, oh, there's bigger issues. I don't have a sin issue right here. Now, it's, it's two portions sin. Let me, let me talk about this for a second before you like throw it out the window. Because if you are struggling with mental health, this, is, this isn't fun to hear. But there, there's circumstantial sin. And for some people, circumstantial sin um, causes massive issues in their life. Like you had a parent that abused you. Maybe they abused you physically. Maybe they abused you emotionally. And that emotional abuse has caused you to look at God in a totally different way. Um, that emotional abuse has caused you to have trust issues. Maybe you've been in a relationship that has caused all kinds of uh, uh, abuse in your life. And you, you're struggling to understand why God would let that happen. And, and, and this abuse, a circumstantial sin, the situation you're in has caused problems for you. Maybe you grew up. Like, you grew up in a family where your folks were just, like, super anxious people, right? Like, they were always worried. They didn't want you to go out by yourself. And they were always kind of, like, freaking out about the littlest things. And guess what? That carried on, didn't it? And you're kind of, you're a product of the environment, of the anxious side of who your parents were. Maybe you spent time serving our country. And thank you for that. But, but maybe in your season of, of serving the country, you saw some pretty gruesome things. Things that nobody wants to talk about things that you're not sure how you're even supposed to process. And that's caused some circumstantial issues, and you continue to struggle with that that hurt, right? You see, sin is the great disconnect. And circumstantial sin is is an issue. Um, It's it's an issue that causes mayhem in the mind because of the abuse or the, the, the seasons of life. The scripture actually says that the sins of the father are passed down from generation to generation. That doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to struggle with everything that your parents did, but it means that how you were raised, how they were raised, how those grandparents were raised, that comes down to pay dividends into who you are today. But I don't want to just let us get off the hook with like it's somebody else's issue, somebody else's fault. It's super easy to play the victim in our society, isn't it? right? It's so easy to play the victim. So let me just do a little illustration for you. Would you raise your right hand for me? Raise your right hand. All right. Did I make you raise your right hand? Did I make you raise your right hand, right? No, you you decided in your mind to raise your right hand. And so that's an illustration to say that, yes, there is circumstantial sin that has caused issues for us. But just the same, just the same, right? There is a side of this that there's some personal sin issues, that cause disconnect as well. Maybe it's a lack of trust in who God is for your future. Maybe it's a disconnect with a struggle with lust or an addiction of some sort. Maybe, maybe for you, you, you just constantly are running back to the bottle or a joint or some sort of high. Maybe it's, maybe it's just like your pride that gets in the way. You always want to be right. Or it's your greed that says, just give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. 
right? You see, mental health is a product of, uh, of the broken relationship, the, the true connection that God wanted us to have, and now we become disconnected because of, because of sin. And so I think we need to start having some honest conversations with ourselves, maybe with some close friends around us, and we need to start asking ourselves some of these tough questions, like, what is it? Uh, maybe it is a circumstantial issue. What is it in the past that I've just never really dealt with? What is it that I have in my life? What are my shortcomings? What are my, my downfalls? And how, how can I see this? If we can get to the root of those issues, we can help to bring ourselves through the power of God out of these seasons where mental health has come completely squashing us. The second thing is this, hold on to hope. I say that again, would you just hold on to hope? You see, where there is no hope, there is no life. Hope is being able to see the light when it's completely dark around you. The truth is, if you struggle with mental health, um, you know what it's like to feel hopeless. You know, like you know what it's like, and it's probably even harder as a Christian, right? Because like as Christians, we're supposed to somehow, for some reason or another, we, we found that, that, we, that people in the church think they have it all together. Guess what? You don't, and we know that, and the person beside you knows that. So you don't have to keep walking in here and acting, hey, I'm great, how are you? Good to see you, right? We can admit that we have issues and we have problems, but for some reason we try to hold it all together. There's more people in this room than you would like to admit that are struggling with, with these issues of mental health. And so we need to recognize that in those moments there's other people around us. Because here's what happens. We try to do the right things, right? Like we go to, we read our Bible, we pray, we go to worship on Sunday mornings, we connect with a small group, we're starting to serve, we're, we're trying to do all these, these things and we, we, we feel like we're doing everything right, but nothing's changing. You ever been there? Feel like you're trying to do everything right, but nothing's changed? Can I just say for a moment to those that have struggled with mental health issues and you feel like you're doing everything right, but nothing's changing, you are not alone. You're not alone. Man, I'll, I'll never forget, four years ago for me, I went into this spiraling downward cycle of struggling with some anxiety. And I, I, I never felt like I had, would have gone through something like this, but when it happened, it happened, and man, I was frustrated at God. I asked, why did this thing this happen? I was trying to do all the right things. But man, many days, all I wanted to do was just sleep. I just wanted to get away. I was scared. I remember walking into Matt's office. Hey, I was due to preach one Sunday. I'm like, Matt, I can't preach. Like, there's no way I can stand up on that stage. I'm scared to death to stand up on that stage. And he's like, nope, you're going to preach. Yeah. He's like, no, no excuses. You're getting up there, man. And I should really just was in the season of like total wonder, like, how am I going to get through this? You are not alone in this. Can I just, at both of our campuses, can I just have for a moment, if you've ever felt overwhelmed, you've ever felt depressed, you've ever felt anxious or hopeless, can I just have you raise your hand for a moment? I'm sure Ben Sins is just like this. Hand after hand after hand of people raised saying, I've been there. You are not alone in this. You see, hope is the first drop of rain after a drought. Hope is the calm in the center of the storm. Hope is the feeling that you're crushed, but recognizing you are not destroyed. We must hold on to hope. And Judas lost hope. Now you look back into the scripture in Matthew 27, that next chapter in verses 3 through 5, it says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I sinned, he said, for I betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and he left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. He killed himself. You see, suicide's a real issue. 
It's an issue not only in this world, it's an issue in the church as well. It's one of the questions asked, if somebody commits suicide, are they going heaven or hell? Now look, I'm not going to give you a blanket statement on this. I don't, I don't think it's, it's possible to do that. There is a difference between uh, losing hope in God and a mental health issue that has went left un, untreated and un, uh, untalked about that has allowed somebody to become in a, in a, put in an unstable place and to do something they know not to do. But, but here's what I will say. I'll say this. Don't lose hope. Some of you need to hear this this morning. You are valuable. And God sees you as his prized creation. You have purpose. And just because you have pain today doesn't mean you're going to have trial for tomorrow. And God wants to work out something amazing in your life. God wants to do something powerful through you. And if you, if you take your life, you're not going to see that. And others aren't going to see that in you. If Peter had a moment when all seemed lost, when he lost the hope as well, it's in verses 74 and 75 of, of Matthew uh, 26, right? He's just denied three times, right? And it says that in verse 75, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. See, Peter had denied Jesus not once, but three times. He did it after, after Christ said he was going to do it. Christ predicted it. Peter is distraught and he weeps bitterly. I can't tell you what exactly was going on in Peter's mind, but I can tell you this. There was something different. There's something different between Judas and Peter. Uh, Peter, at some point, decided to hold on just to like a glimmer of hope. He decided just for a second, I've got to hold on to this. Like, God, uh, Christ, Christ, if I know who Christ truly is and the thing that's, that I've seen of him, he's going to still love me even though I did this. You know, Peter was one of the first disciples to see the empty tomb, the hope of a resurrected Lord. He was one of the first disciples to see the resurrected Jesus in the flesh, right? Holes in his wrist. He saw him in that room with the other disciples. He held out hope even amidst his sorrow. So what happens when you feel hopeless? When you feel like you're drowning in the deep of depression, when anxiety is overwhelming you, what do you do? Let me tell you this. You need to pursue Jesus. Like in John chapter 21, we pick up the story with Peter, right? Now he's out doing what he knows best. He's out fishing. I love this story, right? Peter, he's out on the boat. He's fishing. Now he's seen Jesus at least once uh, after the resurrection. So I'm thinking that Peter's sitting back and he's kind of like thinking about all that's happened over the last few years. Like, man, I've been with this guy for three years and he said all these crazy things. The tomb is empty. Now I saw the risen Lord. And then all of a sudden he... He snaps back and he thinks about that situation. He thinks about denying Christ three times. The story goes that this man walks up on the shore. They don't know it's Jesus, but it's Jesus. He walks up on the shoreline, and they're out fishing, and they're not really catching much. And Jesus goes, hey, put your net, put your net on the right side of the boat, the other side of the boat. They're like, whoa, we know this story. This happened to us before because this happened at the calling of them to become disciples, they're like, we know who this is. And it says in verse 7 of chapter 21 of the Gospel of John, it says, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water. And he, he got to the shore as fast as he could. Peter went running after Jesus. Just as Paul would challenge us to run the race that Christ has marked out for us, Peter pursued Jesus because when all seems lost, Jesus is always the answer. 
Now, I, I get it. Like, like, when you're in the throes of a mental health issue, you don't want to hear somebody tell you this, especially if you're a Christ follower. Like, if somebody told me this when I was in the season of anxiety, it would have made me frustrated at them. Like, I am trying to do these things. I am trying to pursue Jesus. And I wanted to be frustrated in those moments. But truth was, it was true. I needed to just keep going after Jesus. You never are ever going to find freedom and healing in this life outside of a pursuit of Jesus. You're looking for peace amid the chaos. Right? You, you want to have joy amidst the sorrow. You want to, find, you want to find life in the middle of death. You know where that comes? It comes in a pursuit after Jesus. Sure, there's some counterfeits out there. Right? They'll fill you up for a season. But man, they'll eventually leave you emptier than you were before. It says it like this in Hebrews chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us Throw off everything that hinders and a sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing, here it is, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not, what? Not grow weary or lose heart. So when you are when you're struggling, when you feel like there is no hope, how do you get that hope? You focus and fix your eyes on Jesus. Look, I wish I could tell you the journey was going to be as easy as it was for Peter. Just hop out of the boat and swim to shore. But guess what? It's probably not. It may take days, probably going to take weeks, months, years, may even take a lifetime to feel like you're back into a place of some sense of mental health and peace. But I can tell you this, the promise of tomorrow is far greater than the, the hurts of today. I, man, I, four years ago when I, I was walking through this, I just, I, I really hated myself. I wasn't myself. I would have moments where I just like completely overwhelmed with fear. I'd wake up in these panics. My heart would be pounding. My blood pressure would be through the roof. I was like, everyday life things were just hard for me to do. And it took time. It really took years, years for me to feel, to feel normal again. But I learned along that journey that the more I pursue Jesus, the better it gets. And Peter's story didn't end there either. Like, he went on to be the man that, that helped, to see, <laughs> helped to see Christianity continue to spread, to lead the disciples as they continued to press out faith in the church. We are a product of the life of Peter because of how he went out of his way. He held out hope even in the midst of of his sorrow. You see, you have a future. You have a peace. You have a purpose. The Apostle Paul was overwhelmed with his issue, right? The thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was for the Apostle Paul. Like, for some people, they're like, they think it was some sort of, like, visual eyesight issue, a medical problem. For some, they think it was some sort of psychological problem. We don't know what the issue was for Paul, but he had an issue, something that was there, something that was constantly struggling with. And it says in Scripture that three times he pleaded with the Lord. And I know for some people, they read that, and they're like, three times? He only prayed three times about it? No wonder he didn't get healed for it. Like, I prayed hundreds of times, but I still haven't found the answer to my miracle. No, that's not what they're saying. He's saying, like, three times, three seasons that Paul went to, to the Lord and just begged and pleaded for this situation to be taken away. Guess what? God didn't take it away. Actually, what Scripture tells us is this. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, this is Paul saying, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. I found through the years that the more I'm honest and open about anxiety, the more God seems to use me to communicate and encourage others through that season of life as well. 
that I can boast in my weakness, knowing that, that God will use it to bring glory to him. Look, I, I pray. I pray that the deep of depression resends. I pray that the panic and the anxiety is removed. I pray that the, the grief and the pain of the PTSD would, would disappear. I pray that you never have a suicidal thought. Again, I, I pray for your mental health. I pray that it's mended. But if not, I have no doubt that God's going to still be there with you. We have a gal here in our congregation that uh, is really near and dear to my heart and my family. And uh, she, uh, she struggled in a season of her own uh, with some postpartum depression issues. And I just asked her, I said, hey, would you be willing to share a letter with, uh, with those in our, our, our church? And she said, sure. So I want to read it to you this morning. She says this, Dave's after the birth of my firstborn son, which was supposed to be one of the happiest times in my life, it quickly became apparent that all was not well with me. And it was anything but happy. She said, I cried all the time. I didn't want to get out of bed. I couldn't sleep. And I begged my husband not to leave. Don't go back to work. I had a constant fear of everything. I couldn't relax. And I didn't want to be left alone. There were many times where I just wanted to give my son to somebody else to raise. There's a real emotion. I was deep in the hole, and I didn't know how I could get past another day. While there's much to my story and months of struggles, it ends with a message of hope. She says, I now have two healthy boys that I have the privilege of raising. And seeing the love my husband chose and one of the worst times in my life strengthened our marriage, even when it could have been broken. Experiencing the outpouring of love from friends and family has helped me to be more intentional about those relationships. I now have an attitude towards mental health and, an empath and I'm empathetic to others. Sadly, that wasn't always the case. While this was not a road I chose to travel, it's taught me so much. My belief in God helped me to hang on when I had the feeling that nothing of nothing but hopelessness. And then she ends with this, and I want to end with it to you. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13. For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord, your God, and I say to you, do not be afraid. I am here to help you.